to another episode of Science with Raven. Today, our podcast will highlight a very exciting part of a cell. Come, listen, and let's explore. As learners, we have encountered the topic cells as early as elementary. Cells are the basic unit of life and it is also considered as the building block of a living organism. But animal cells do have its own unique parts like the cell membrane, the nucleus, and between the two is the cytoplasm. But for this special podcast, we are only going to focus to one part, which is the cell membrane. The cell membrane, also often called the plasma membrane, consists of a lipid bilayer that is semi-permeable. Its main function is to separate the interior part of the cell from the outside environment, and it plays a big role in regulating the transport of materials entering and exiting the cell. To clearly understand and describe the plasma membrane, there is a model that was proposed and formulated by Singer and Nicholson in the early 1970s, called the fluid mosaic model that is commonly used to describe the structures of the plasma membrane. This model describes the cell membrane as a tapestry of several types of molecules, such as the phospholipids, cholesterols, and proteins that are constantly moving. This movement helps the cell membrane maintain its role as a barrier between the inside and outside of the cell environments. The first structure of the plasma membrane is the phospholipids. It is a lipid made of glycerol, two fatty acid tails, and a phosphate link head group. Biological membranes usually involve two layers of phospholipids with their tails pointing inward. It is an arrangement called phospholipid bilayer. Since phospholipids are arranged in a bilayer, that makes up the basic fabric of the plasma membrane. They are exact for this role because they are amphipathic, meaning they have both hydrophilic and hydrophobic regions. Hydrophilic means water-loving. The hydrophilic head contains a negatively charged phosphate group as well as an additional small group which may also be charged or polar. The hydrophilic heads of a phospholipids in a membrane bilayer face outward, contacting the fluid both inside and outside of the cell. We all know that the water is polar molecule, meaning it readily forms electrostatic charge-based interaction with the phospholipid heads. On the other hand, hydrophobic means water-fearing. The fatty acid tail can easily interact with other non-polar molecules, but they interact poorly with water. This is the reason it's more energetically favorable for the phospholipids to tuck their fatty acid tails away in the interior of the part of the membrane. It is where they are protected and away from the surrounding water. The phospholipid bilayer formed by these interactions makes a good barrier between the interior and exterior of the cell because water and the other polar or charged substances cannot easily cross the hydrophobic core of the membrane. And now that you already know something about the first structure of the plasma membrane, which is the phospholipids, we are now moving on to the second structure called the proteins. Proteins are considered as the second major component of the plasma membrane. This protein has two main categories, the integral and the peripheral membrane protein. Let's first talk about the integral membrane protein. They have at least one hydrophobic region that anchors them to the hydrophobic core of the phospholipid bilayer. Proteins that extend all the way across the membrane are called transmembrane proteins. Now, the second category is the peripheral membrane protein. It is found on the outside and inside surfaces of membranes, attached either to the integral proteins or to the phospholipids. Unlike integral membrane proteins, peripheral membrane proteins do not stick into the hydrophobic core of the membrane, and they tend to be more loosely attached. The last and the third major component of the plasma membrane is called the carbohydrates. These are found on the outside surfaces of the cell and are attached to the lipid 
forming glycolipids. These carbohydrate chains may consist of 2 to 60 monosaccharide units and can be either straight or branched. These proteins allow cells to recognize each other. These markers are very important in the immune system, allowing immune cells to differentiate between body cells which they couldn't attack and foreign cells or tissues which they should attack. Now that we tackled and learned the three major structures of the plasma membrane, we are now moving on on how the fluidity of the plasma membrane works. The plasma membrane's fluidity describes the movement seen in the fluid membrane. Also, it can shift and move because of the unsaturated carbons. They can move by lateral movements or by flipping. The fatty acid structure is that the tails of the phospholipids gives an important role in determining the properties of the membrane to be specific on how fluid it is. The factors that affect the plasma membrane's fluidity are the fatty acids. To be specific, it is the saturated and unsaturated fatty acids. The saturated fatty acids is relatively straight and have no double band, and that is the reason why it affects the fluidity of the membrane, because without the double band, the fluidity decreases, resulting to making the cell membrane tightly stacked. On the other hand, the unsaturated fatty acid contain one or more double bands, often resulting in a bend or a kink. And now that the double bond is present, it makes the fluidity increase. But these fatty acids behave differently on different temperatures. On cooler temperatures, the straight tails or saturated fatty acids can pack tightly together, making a dense and fairly rigid membrane. Phospholipids with unsaturated fatty acid tails will not pack together as tightly because of the bent structures of the tails. This results to a membrane containing unsaturated phospholipids stay fluid at lower temperatures than a membrane made of saturated ones. But animal cells has a unique component that helps with fluidity and it is called the cholesterol. It helps lessen the effect of the temperature to the fluidity of the membrane. Now that you know the fluidity of the membrane, let's now see and learn the importance of the plasma membrane and how indispensable it is to the life of the cells. As I explained earlier, the plasma membrane plays a big role in separating and protecting the interior part of the cell from the outside environment and also plays a big role in regulating the transport of the materials entering and exiting the cell. The plasma membrane also plays a big role in giving the cell its shape as well as its structural support and also the signaling or the communication of the cells. The plasma membrane is indispensable because without this, there will be no protection to the interior of the cell making the cell's life in danger and the cell's whole function can be damaged and may not function properly. Also, without the plasma membrane, other unnecessary outside fluids can enter the cell. Now, we will go to the last part of this discussion. What do you think is the effect of different solutions to the cell? The materials that enters and exceeds the cell is transported by a process called diffusion. Diffusion is the movement of molecules from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration. Solids are lipid-soluble materials or small enough to pass through pores, but in some instances, there is a membrane between solutions with an equal concentration of solids that cannot across the membrane. Osmosis will occur and the water will flow toward the side with less water or solid until the two sides have equal concentration. A solution that has a higher concentration of solids than another solution is said to be hypertonic, wherein cells in hypertonic solution will shrivel as water leaves the cell via osmosis, while a solution that has a lower concentration of solute will take on too much water and swell with the risk of eventually bursting. Lastly, the isotonic solution, wherein the concentration of the water is the same as the cell. 
Now, all these three solutions have effects to plants and animal cells. For animal cells, isotonic solution is the best because when an animal is exposed in an isotonic solution, the water will neither flow in, in or out and there will be no occurrence of osmosis. While the best or the ideal solution for plant cell is the hypotonic solution because it has a cell wall that helps and plays a role in maintaining the balance of water. Also, when the water enters the cell and takes too much water, it will eventually burst. But in plant cell, it is different. When it is in hypertonic solution, it tends to store water properly and did its best in a hypotonic environment.